Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections. It's me, your boy, Ben Young, and with me today is no one. Uh, this week, the boys took a little break, so we wanted to take this opportunity to give you a little sneak peek of what we are being cooking up over on our Patreon. First, you're going to hear an episode from Bill's Futurism series all about space exploration. This series has been all about talking about scientific topics we often see in sci-fi in a real-world light. It's really, really great, and you're going to enjoy it. I know you will right off the bat. After that, you're going to hear the first 15 minutes of our special cast on The Last of Us Part 2. Don't worry, there are no spoilers in those first 15 minutes. Uh, we designed it specifically for that so that people who are interested, maybe interested in our Patreon, uh, can listen to that and enjoy it. If you like what you hear in this episode, please, please, please visit patreon.com slash sci-fi cross-sections. For only $5 per month, you can get access to these and other great bonus content like other futurism episodes, fan requests like Mars Attacks and Evolution, and even some other little fun bits that we've done in the past that we just didn't have time to get up on our uh, actual podcast. So please, you go to, to, to patreon.com slash sci-fi cross-sections for as little as $5 per month. Please... Thank you, and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the first of many bonus episodes of Sci-Fi Cross-Section's segment, Futurism and Humanity. As many of you may know, my favorite sci-fi media makes me ask questions about our future, our existence, and how to best adjust my television to watch the hit movie, Valyrian. In this episode, I dip my toe into space exploration and classic examples of futurism within media and scientific hypotheses. So, futurism and space travel. Space. A continuous area or expanse which is free, available, or unoccupied. In our context, the physical universe between the Earth's atmosphere and other celestial bodies. My definition is the vast expanse among celestial bodies yet to be voyaged. However you define it, man has always been enthralled by the mammoth emptiness of space, its mysterious secrets, and its stillness. To this day, within the scope of modern science, we can still be dumbfounded by the phenomenon hidden in the old images of long-dead stars. Some things may be unknowable, such as the information within a black hole, or the nature of multi-dimensions. As a species of voyagers, humanity buys to touch the untouchable, know the unknowable, and delve the depths of the uncharted. So where do we go from here? Our stellar curiosity reaches as far back in history as the Greek philosophers. The forefathers of scientific observation and study have given life and liberty for the exploration and demystification of space for the sake of mankind's enlightenment. We now stand on the precipice of space exploration. So, allow me to explore the gripping possibilities as explored by science fiction media in this episode of Sci-Fi Cross-Section's Futurism.
Hi, this is Bill from uh, Sci-Fi Cross Sections. If you're a listener, you probably know me, but I just wanted to uh, introduce this new segment that I'm producing for all our patrons on Patreon. Um, Basically, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to try at least once a month, and uh, during the show, there'll be a small segment as well, exploring sort of futuristic ideas and futurism in general and how sci-fi media has influenced it and also where we stand now with what we look towards in the future so this segment will be about space travel it will be about exploration of space i want to start with the media that i love explore the kind of voyage I, I think that one of the first that i think of when it comes to uh humans interacting with space and humans interacting with other species even is hg wells in one of his phenomenal works, War of the Worlds. It explored visitation from space as a concept. It was a more sinister view. I believe that the visitation from space was a manifestation of our paranoia as a species and our viability as a species. So it took a more sinister look at alien life and what it means to us. I believe that the classic story uh, i think everybody knows is the radio broadcast that orson wells starred in Uh, it was adapted by howard koch and uh they did a broadcast of war of the worlds which if you don't know involves the invasion of earth by alien martians that are going to kill everybody basically enough of the audience had tuned in late enough to hear this and think that the news broadcast cast was real and so it terrified an entire nation until they cleared up the whole thing on the radio but it was so fascinating to see that it was such a well-written adaptation that everyone you know thought it was real so written in 1898 and adapted countless times the classic has captured the imagination and attention of sci-fi media as a lens into the human condition and the power of nature and paranoia We talk about the human condition and how we feel we are fragile as a species. We go day to day thinking that we are granted, that we are going to always be. But there is this power of nature that within an instant, nature can say, you're gone. You're done. And we have a paranoia about that at times. So this work of fiction, War of the Worlds, was a way of embracing that paranoia and creating a lens and saying, look at us, look at what we think, look at how we deal with the unknown and the paranoia of exploring the unknown or the paranoia of something coming from the unknown and attacking us. H.G. Wells was amazing. He wrote a lot of good stuff. One of my favorites is the novel, The First Men in the Moon, in which a pair of men explore the moon by using a material called cavorite to negate the effects of gravity. In classic fashion, H.G. Wells always gets your noodle cooking about the possibilities that our universe affords us. Uh, Looking ahead, there are countless classic media to sate the sci-fi nerd's appetite. Throughout the medium, the idea of reaching too far or being attacked has always existed. So from War of the Worlds to Alien, even to the weird movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers, as much as we get carried away, sci-fi keeps us in check. Sci-fi tells us, Wait, 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 wait. We're having fun here, folks, but let's sit down and chat for a second and think about the real consequences of our actions. So my personal favorite that utilizes the theme is The Expanse. 
which is just fantastic all around. If you haven't seen it, please see it now. Please just watch it now. Uh, read the book now. It's fantastic. It crafts a system in which the nitty-gritty future space travel, given great propulsion, less than relativistic speed, uh, that means um, light speed, is explored. I love the ex- example of space travel because it gives the feeling of like, oh, yeah, duh. Okay, that makes sense. You know, like it, it, to watch the series and think, oh, yeah, that's how they would do that. That's definitely how they would do it. That's plausible. The way they use propulsion as gravity is a cool concept to me. I'm like, okay, so how do you really do that in space? There's rotation, and then there's also propulsion causing a force. So the force causes you to be stuck on the ground. I always thought that was a really cool concept in The Expanse. And that was just one silly thing about it that I thought was really cool. But it's also very interesting how there's realistic time frames given this great propulsion. Another personal favorite in terms of practical space travel is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, this is a Kubrick film uh, in which he crafts a visual effect and atmosphere that holds to this day. If you watch this movie, it's still breathtaking. It really it goes beyond sci-fi. Uh, it goes beyond sci-fi techno babble to explore the consciousness of humankind. We have ascended in the past and how we plan to ascend in the future and how we really are just honestly a bunch of apes with clubs that are going out in cans and trying to find the unknown, trying to explore the unexplored, yet we still don't know how to deal with our own psyches and our own consciousness and the unintended consequences of exploration. The unintended consequences of exploration and uh, how the artificial intelligence that had to be created. So Star Trek, if there were ever a series that nailed FTL space travel or faster than light space travel, it's this show. The idea of the warp drive is so fascinating to me. It's fascinated me since the beginning. The idea of the warp drive is to sidestep the universal speed limit, the speed of light. Nothing can travel faster than the speed of light without infinite energy. In order to travel at the speed of light, You need an infinite amount of energy. So even if you were to get very, very close, you could never accelerate an object up to that speed. Uh, The only thing that can travel at that speed is photons because they have negligible mass. Miguel Alcubierre uh, was inspired by Star Trek's concept for the warp drive that he decided to work on making it a reality. Now, if you're unfamiliar, warp drive has a lot of interesting properties that make the concept of faster-than-light travel a little bit more digestible. The object that is being warped or sent through space never really moves relative to its own surrounding space in its bubble. Space itself is manipulated and pinched in a way, pinched at the front and expanded at the back in order to move space around the object. It's like taking two pieces of string, put them through a button, and then you pull the two pieces of string apart and watch the button fly across the string. That's basically the idea is that you never actually push the button, but you do expand the string and it pushes the button forward. The object never actually moves to light speed. Space itself is manipulated. Essentially, it's not the craft that travels, but the destination that travels to the craft. 
along with the entirety of the universe. So you're moving space. You never travel through space. Space travels around you. In essence, the craft creates a pocket and shoves the pocket across fast distances at faster than light speeds. No mass is moved, only space, which does not itself move, only ripples out of the way. You create this ripple within space and it pushes along the line. It's an intuitive theory. It makes sense to the human brain. If you're given that nothing can travel past the speed of light, and then you're given this idea that you can, in fact, manipulate space, then this is a natural consequence of those two ideas. And it takes advantage of the fact that Einstein's theory of relativity only counts mass and not space, which can be bent and manipulated, notably by mass, i.e. gravity. So mass manipulates space all the time. Mass creates gravity. It creates indents in space that cause other objects to travel towards each other. So the Earth creates a dip in space, which pulls the moon towards it, basically. In reality, we as a species will most likely explore our system and let our probes explore the vast swathes of emptiness between our sun and other stars for the foreseeable future. We don't really have much in terms of faster-than-light travel, and to travel to the nearest star would take years and years and years, and it's not really um, plausible for us to make regular trips, I guess to say. It would be generational. It still intrigues me thinking about the ingenuity already taking place right now, though. If you think about faster-than-light travel, uh, probably not going to happen. Most likely not going to happen. Probably doesn't make sense to happen. Now, I'll eat my hat when it happens in 500 years, maybe, but I'll be dead. I'll be living in my space computer as a consciousness. This still intrigues me, though, the idea of traveling through space and space exploration because it's so cool. It's, it's where we've never been before. It's the final frontier. So the greatest asset we have as a spacefaring species is our local gas station, the moon. Right now, we have the ingenuity of private companies, such as those owned by Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. And the idea is that we're going to take advantage of our moon. And I'll explain that right now. Why does that matter? Why does the moon matter when it comes to space exploration? So allow me to explain. Given the vast deposits of water on the poles of the moon, we are given two vital components of gas-propelled rockets. For space travel, we require hydrogen and oxygen, very, very explosive gases that allow us to propel ourselves through space. Now, water has both of these things. It has two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. And given this, we only need to have enough fuel to go to the moon. And then on the moon, we can process the water into hydrogen and oxygen, which we already do on a regular basis. It's actually very simple. Given this ease, given this gas station given to us, given to us by whatever force gave us the moon. Now, I have to explain something. When you create propulsion to get mass from the Earth to space, it's massive. Every time you add fuel to get farther, you add more fuel that you need to get that fuel to space. If you can reduce, significantly reduce the amount of fuel that you need, approximately 24 times less, 
for anything beyond the moon, you need 24 times less fuel. So you land on the moon, get gas up, and you go. To launch from the Earth takes 24 times more energy than it does to, to escape from the moon. So that means that we take enough fuel to get us to the moon, gas up on the moon, and then launch from the moon, giving us amazing distance. It launches us. It's a slingshot out into the vastness of our solar system. The moon is the real launch pad off of the Earth. So once we manufacture fuel and infrastructure to travel from the lunar surface, we will be given the opportunity to explore more readily, even in a privatized fashion, and even harness the materials given to us within our system. Bountiful opportunities would be seized by future generations after we lay the groundwork and infrastructure. Work has already begun for this by Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Very easily, they, they've already started. It's already in the works. Let's take a look at Elon Musk's goals. Okay, so Elon wants to send 1 million people to Mars by 2050. He wants three starships to leave Earth every day once the infrastructure is in place for everything. Once it's on the moon, once it's on Earth, he wants to launch three starships a day. Uh, and SpaceX, the Musk-owned privatized spaceflight program, plans on building 100 starships capable of travel to Mars with 100 people and 100 tons of material on board. Each starship would be fully reusable and create the highway to the planets. It would be the highway to the planets where the moon is the gas station. So we create these two things hand in hand. You do the math, we launch into space, and we are good to go, baby. So the plan is to load up all the starships, launch them into Earth orbit, and then over the course of a month during a 30-day time window where the Earth and Mars are closest together, we boost the ships and we send them to Mars. So that will save a ton of gas, that will save a ton of time because Earth and Mars are much closer at this time. Every 25 months or so, this window opens up. Musk's advantage is his emphasis on reusable rockets and ships. For $2 million, he states he can launch 100 people into space. Now, just to give you an idea of what $2 million means, that's about a hundredth of the cost right now of sending 100 people into space. If you were to really feasibly do that, it would honestly probably multiple hundreds. So that would probably be more than 200, 300 million dollars just to do that. And for, to do it for $2 million, you can launch 300 times, 200 times more people. You know, it really makes the concept of launching into space to get to Mars more feasible. While Elon Musk focuses on the destination to Mars, Jeff Bezos focuses on the journey. Now, the concept is inspired by Gerard O'Neill's novel, The High Frontier. Now, in this novel, humanity lives in space colonies and uses the moon and asteroids as resources for travel. The first step Bezos wants to take is reestablishing the moon as a viable step in our journey outside the Earth-Moon system. So inspired by this novel, he wants to create the stations. He wants to create the major industry in space with these stations and keep the Earth as a residence. All giant industrial business would be done in space on these stations. And then the residences for people working in space and the, on the moon. And then we would be able to fit a trillion people on the Earth as uh, just residents, you know, that are able to just live there. Bezos's plan is to get Lockheed Martin and Northrop Gunman Corp. to bid for contracts to send people to the moon. So when this has become an established process, the plan is to move onto the moon as a gas station, 
thus opening a lane into the space highway within the system. I believe that the two, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk's plans, will work in tandem, in complementary and symbiotic competition, to give the public a chance to live and work on other planets and in space in a very, very real capacity, in a very intuitive capacity that really makes sense. As usual, science fiction is becoming science fact. We will harness the moon as an asset. We will explore Mars as a new frontier and home of humanity. My hope, in the end, is that we will lay the groundwork for our species to thrive and remain viable for many eons to come. If we establish ourselves as a multi-planetary species, our chance of extinction drastically diminish. Let's get out there. Let's go do the damn thing. And let's... Engage. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening. There will be more episodes coming regularly. Uh, as patrons, you guys get access to this, and I we really appreciate your support throughout all of this. And uh, we'll be producing more and more content as time goes on. So I just wanted to say thank you, and till next time. Hey, nope. Do not skip. There's still more. We still have more, and it is starting right now. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Ben Young, and with me today is... Jason. And a very special guest. You may know her as Caramel Mama or Colin's girlfriend. Uh, it is... <laughs> it's Caroline. Hey, this is like your your very first like official guest. I am, and I'm so excited. So when you asked me if I wanted to be on the podcast, I got super excited, and I texted several people about it. And I promised Colin I wouldn't embarrass him. <laughs> we uh <laughs> we, we we asked Caroline on here today because Caroline uh, is a trade as an as a nurse, and so she's gonna <laughs> tell us all about the actual virus. Uh, right, like that's you right. That I'm gonna go through the whole epidemi- epidemiology. I've had two truly, so I can't talk real well. Oh, that's fine. I'm I'm on my second drink as well, so we're we're okay. We we get drunk here. Uh, no, no. Caroline's just just is really passionate about it, and and not many people we know were really into the game, so we wanted to just uh, ask Caroline on to to chat with us because it's a good good game. So with that being said. Uh, I'm not going to synopsize it, 
because we're going to start off with just our, for our our impressions of the game, spoiler free. If you're listening to this, you're, you're listening to this, either this is a Patreon-exclusive episode, but you're hearing a preview of it in our regular podcast form. So we want you to know how good it is, what we think of it uh, beforehand, and then for, for the rest of our discussion, you're going to have to go to patreon.com slash sci-fi cross-sections and become a patron at the $5 tier. It's $5 a month for at least three new episodes a month, uh, if not more, and it's 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 ramping up. It's growing exponentially. So please, please, please go to patreon.com slash sci-fi cross-sections. So... Uh, let's diving into it. Uh, what are you, what are you guys' impressions of The Last of Us Part 2? Not so um, fast. So, I guess, whoa. No, go ahead. <laughs> I guess I'll start, Ben. Um, so, yes, you know, I was one of the individuals after the first Last of Us finished that was very much in the camp of there did not need to be a sequel. Uh, I think I was pretty vocal about that. I know you and I have talked about that kind of at length. Um, I wasn't one of the individuals that was really kind of pushing for a sequel or pushing for any sort of continuity to the story. I thought, you know, the the first Last of Us told a very succinct story. I thought, you know, it was um, it had a good beginning, middle, and an end. Uh, I thought that, as we kind of discussed in our Last of Us podcast, uh, probably 20 episodes ago or so, I thought that, you know, it was a perfect ending. I didn't really think it needed to go anywhere. But when it was announced, um, as I've kind of said, you know, I have that proclivity for the mic drop moments. So when the announcement trailer was released about, I think, like three or four years ago now, I was uh, still pretty excited, I got to say. You know, I was kind of approaching it with some kind of like uh, very tempered enthusiasm um, and was hoping for the best. Obviously, the release wasn't, uh, you know, fraught with... uh, kind of a lot of issues, um, be it leaks or delays, but ultimately having beaten the game about a week ago now, I would say I beat it over the last weekend. Um, I would say that I was very surprised in a a positive way. Um, I thought they told a, a, a good story that was worth telling and I thought the gameplay and the visuals were phenomenal. Um, and ultimately, to me, I thought it was uh, it, it lived up to the first one in every way, and I thought that uh, it was definitely a story that I'm glad saw the light of day. So those would be my first impressions, Ben. What about you, Caroline? So I've had I had a different experience than you two because I didn't play the game. I just watched a let's play. So I just literally watched, you know, gameplay of it. And that's what I did for the first Last of Us. Um, I think it was Markiplier that I watched for the first Last of Us. And then this one I did Jacksepticeye. And for the most part, they weren't, like, making too much commentary because they were both like, we we just want to play the game. You know, we're not going to try to make funny comments. So my game experience was totally different where I'm watching it more like a movie And so, like, I had a very different opinion than the first Last of Us ending, where I found out that my opinion of the ending was very, very much different than everyone else. So, like, when I literally listened to the podcast for The Last of Us, I was just like, oh, oh, 
oh, I had a bad opinion about this ending here. And I was even talking to like Andrew about it. And he was like looking at me like I'm crazy. Like he was like, no, that's like the bad opinion of this game where I was. What was what was it? What was your opinion of the first game? So me being me, I was kind of just like in the mindset of like, well, why does Ellie have to be killed? I'm like, there shouldn't there be any like test done. Like what I just wanted was curious to know what like actual tests they have done on Ellie, where it's like we know that in her, um, it's been years since I watched the first first Last of Us. It could have been easily like four or five years, you know. So like memories fuzzy about like certain small details, but I know it was like in her brainstem. But I'm just curious to know like, did they do like? like test out her cerebral spinal fluid did they do that did they like you know like i just wanted to know like what tests were done on ellie to make it that she is the only thing we have to kill her let's take her brain stuff this is the only way so i'm just like hold up one moment we, we really need to think this out before we just potentially kill the only person that's the cure that has the only like true immunity and so i didn't like feel as bad when Joel killed everyone but the, the thing that was like kind of like resonated my like opinion that yeah I'm right was that I looked at the comments like there and a lot of people are like hold up one moment well how do we know that she was the only cure you know so I'm just like yeah yeah I'm right I'm right and then I hear the podcast and it's like oh oh I gotta keep quiet about this one <laughs> that's fair I think that's a fair fair perspective on it i think i think a lot of those answers are are given in in last of us 2 and we'll talk more about that in a bit right um i i do think that uh even i i i think those people who kind of like like not you withstanding i think you asked those questions because you're you're probably in the medical industry and you said a lot of words that well, you are in the medical industry and you said a lot of words that i didn't understand just now um like cerebral spinal fluid like a spinal tap you like basically oh yeah the band yeah exactly and uh i i but a lot of the people who like question the ending of the first one and who kind of like paint joel in a good light i feel like did it because of some sort of weird attachment to joel rather than an actual like answer or an, an actual concern for ellie so, and we'll get it and get more into that as well. Uh, but you, what do you, so what is your opinion watching to then? It's kind of one of those things like, like, I still had a great time. I really loved what I saw, but like, we'll talk more about spoilers later, but it was just like, I can't imagine what the gameplay would have been like. You know, like, feeling the story and going through the gameplay while I'm just, like, watching it. Like, I have no choice, you know. Like, I can't make my um decisions if that makes sense without, you know, revealing spoilers just yet. But okay. I had a great time. I'll just leave it at that. Sure. And I think, I think your perspective on it is going to be really interesting because your perspective is the exact reason I'm so against a TV show of The Last of Us. And why, if you've listened to our, our other episodes where we've talked about it and the news about how this is coming on HBO with Neil Druckmann in charge and the guy who did Chernobyl, I think, I, I think having a participant point of view kind of takes out a whole part of the game. And I'm excited to dive deeper into that to, to see where some of your opinions lie. 
I, I loved this. I think it's it's going up in the greats. It's definitely game of the year. Um, and it's going to be a tough game to beat when it comes to the rest of this decade. You mean Animal Crossing doesn't beat it? Uh, no. No, it doesn't. No, because uh, I... I, I f- I've I haven't gone back to Animal Crossing. I've abandoned my I've abandoned my villagers. Your I've weeds. abandoned my I boys. Mean, the weeds. Let's have be overgrown. real. Let's be real. So Animal Crossing is twice as violent, but half. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I do I think the only game that's really going to come up against The Last of Us Two at this point this decade is going to be God of War Two. Oh, is there a God five. of War game coming out? Yeah, they're coming out with a sequel of oh. the one they had on PS4. I literally had no idea about that. I don't keep up with wait. news. Wait, did you did you 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 watched you watched or played the the one that um came out on PS4, right? Uh, uh-uh, I literally did not watch that gameplay at all. So I literally oh. did not even know oh, that there okay. was a second oh. one coming out. I don't keep up with the news. Well, yeah. Well, let me ask you both a question. So. The comparison I wanted to make when we kind of got into it, um, which may or may not be right now, but hopefully isn't, was actually Red Dead 2. Mm. So I know Caroline had kind of gone through Red Dead 2, but did you have a chance to play oh, yeah, that, Ben? Yeah, I played the fuck out of Red Dead 2. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. So that's going to be kind of the crux of my comparison uh, when we kind of actually you know, get into the, the meat and potatoes here. Um, but... Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see what you're saying. I think there's a few games this generation that really kind of pushed it in terms of production value and story um, and kind of pushed that whole argument of games as an art form, if you will. I definitely think Last of Us 2 is one of those games. Um, I think it's interesting that it's been so divisive, and that's kind of part of what I would like to touch on tonight oh, as we have well. To. Right. Um, because I've, I've definitely been... Uh, I've been kind of sadomasochistic here in the last, you know, week uh, on the <laughs> the <laughs> subreddits, and my my goodness, <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, we'll we'll definitely touch on that, I'm sure. But um, yeah, just really interesting to kind of see the, uh, I guess, the response to the game coming out, um, the response to the story. Now that people have kind of had the opportunity to consume it and really sit with it and kind of spend time with it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to discuss it with both of you. Um, and, uh, like I said, generally I enjoyed it and I thought it was kind of a worthy, um, successor to the first one, which I think is probably one of all collectively, at least I know for Ben and I, for sure, like one of our favorite oh, yeah. games as far as the I story think, goes. I think this one, I think so, this one is better than the first one. I truly do. And I'll just say that right now. Ben, you're going to get death threats <laughs> starting <laughs> tomorrow. Get it? Good. Bring it on. <laughs> I, I, what, they're neck beards. What am I going to do? uh that's a good point and i really want to start talking more in depth about it so there you have it it's a good game you should play it um don't listen to the very loud minority who are review bombing it it's very very good and if you liked the last of us part one you and you like our opinions on the last of us part one you will 100 percent like the last of us part two so now to hear the rest of our discussion please go to patreon.com slash sci-fi cross-sections and become a subscriber at the $5 tier. Uh, spoilers for he- from here on out for all of those who are on our Patreon right now. So if you are on our Patreon and you have not uh, list- if you have not played The Last of Us 2 and you don't want to be spoiled, 
turn it off now and go play it because we're about to talk about everything. We're going to ruin it. I'm going to ruin it in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, thank you so much for listening to our little Patreon highlight this week. Uh, sorry, once again, there wasn't really like a new episode, quote unquote, but we really appreciate you. And we really just wanted to draw attention, extra special attention to our Patreon. So please visit patreon.com slash sci-fi cross sections for all of the latest and greatest bonus content from you sci-fi boys. Patreon is really the only way that we have available to us to help grow our cast and... If you like hearing our episodes, if you like supporting us, and I know there's quite a number of you out there that do, we really need some help out here because times are tough, and we want to make sure that we're continuing to offer a powerful and high-quality program. So once again, patreon.com slash sci-fi cross-sections. We'll see you next week, and as our overlord would say, until next time.